All right, 50. Uh, f- thanks, everybody, by the way. Thanks for your, uh, your enthusiastic singing and the thoughtful way, Jerry, and team that you led the worship. Mike uh, Vanderwalker is here today. Mike's mother's in heaven. Again, we mentioned that, but Mike, we love you, and we're just really happy to think. I can't see. I know you were back there. Oh, there you are, Mike. That... that um, your mom was a solid believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and went directly into the presence of the Lord. But we know that your heart is a little heavy today. Without mom sitting back there, we miss her too. Wanted to tell you that we love you and praying for you as the Lord gives you special comfort. You were a good son and you finished strong. So we're proud of you. So anyway, and uh, we cherish uh, our moms, don't we? Um, so if uh, 50 years from now, uh, when I uh, retire... Um, here's what I, why are you laughing? Uh, 50 years from now, I'm going to start eating right and you know, I'm going to last a long time. 50 years from now, when I retire, here's what I sort of want you guys to say. Um, Ken always said this. Ken always said this. He said, he said, walking in the spirit is using the gifts of the spirit to repeatedly follow the impulses or the instructions of the spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that yielded the fruit of the Spirit. Like 50 years from now, when, when I retire, I hope that people say, Ken always said that. He always said, walking in the Spirit is continually obeying the impulses of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit with the gifts of the Spirit. It yielded the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know if you got that. That was like a lot of words. But if you get that in your heart, and that's the way you live. What an exciting life would it be to realize God is going to be by his Holy Spirit and through his written word and I believe impulses from the Spirit will come to us as we read our Bibles, as we obey the Lord. It's unique impulses to do things that we know that he said we should be doing or not doing or saying or not saying. And when we get in the habit like walking in the Spirit, continually yielding to the Spirit, we're in step with the Spirit. We're working with the Lord around, around us. So what an exciting life that would be. And you might, you might ask the question, and by the way, that would yield the fruit of the Spirit. And I, I just can't imagine a better life. And you probably have maybe some examples in your own life of a time when you felt like you read reading your Bible and you saw, this is what I should do. Or you felt a sense from the Spirit in agreement with the Word of God. This is what I should say. This is where I should go. This is what I should do. And then you did it. And then maybe you did or maybe you didn't find out later, oh, that was, God was really at work in that. That was, that was from the Lord. I, I'll give you a quick example. You guys remember Tom Harmon. This is an unusual example. Usually they're just plain vanilla. This is kind of a special one. Usually just plain vanilla. You get up in the morning and, and you're reading your Bible and you read across, you know, about walking in the Spirit. You think, I need to be careful how I treat my wife today. And that's probably from the Lord. Take that to the bank. Because the Bible says you're supposed to lay down your life for her. So. But, but one, one morning I was over in Chicago and a friend of mine, Tom Harmon, was over there speaking at an at a, at a organization that we were involved in. And I knew that they were, and I, I, when I woke up in the morning, he was on my mind. And as I you know, read my Bible and prayed that day, I thought about him and I thought, he's going to get recruited into this organization. The head of the organization is going to invite him to come and be a part. That just was a hunch on my part, not necessarily from the Lord, but I just had a hunch, kind of a feeling that would be 
like him to do that. And Tom spoke that morning, and then sure enough, he was invited to come and be a part of the organization. But I had an opinion about it. And my opinion was this, just my personal opinion was, like when I want Tom Harmon to speak, if I wanted him to speak here, I would have to call him and ask him. And then he would say, well, I, I have to see if I am free. And I just have to get in line with everybody else and all the other places that want Tom Harmon to speak. I'd have to get in line like everybody else and he'd speak if he could. And if not, he'd make me wait. And he's done that before. And so that morning when I thought about that, I thought to myself, you should not come and work for this organization. You should have the leader of this organization get in line with all the rest of us and just ask you when he needs you. That's just how I felt. It was a strong feeling. And then I thought, but that's none of my business. That's not, that's Tom Harmon's business and not mine. So he spoke and then we had breakfast and then he walked to his car. And when he got to his car, he turned around and he, he kind of rubbed his forehead and he said, Ken, can I ask you a question? And I said, well, sure. He goes, I've been asked to be a part of this organization, and I, what do you think about that? Do you have a thought about that? I go, as a matter of fact, I do have an opinion about that. I think you should have him get in line just like anybody else. So that guy got in line like I got in line, and he asked Tom to speak over and over and over and over and over a bunch of times. And Tom was powerfully used in a totally new area of his life, to literally speak to thousands of people because of that. Now, looking back, I think my hunch is that the Spirit of God nudged me to tell him that. I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll know for sure. Much more important than that, than those kind of like wonderful stories that we all love to think about, is just your basic nuts and bolts of the Christian life, your basic, you know, meat and potatoes of Christian obedience to God. It's read your Bible and do what it says and assume the Spirit has led you in that and that he will empower you in that and the fruit of the Spirit will result from that because that's what the Bible teaches. But there, now why have I said all this? Because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, aren't we supposed to be in Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four? And you are sharp, but it's only four verses. And so when we want to have communion at the end of the service today, and the Lord has put on my heart, I just have had over the last number of weeks, the song keeps coming to my mind. This beautiful song about the blood just keeps coming to my mind. And, and I asked Hopi to come today so we could sing that song to you and then that, and sing a couple other songs with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to teach this text, then we're going to have the communion, and then we're going to leave singing today, and you'll be on your way for the 4th of July uh, weekend here. But in Ephesians chapter 6, we have stepped into the middle of a section of the Bible that's giving us, the, teaching us how to walk in the Spirit. There you see, I put those things together. How do you walk in the Spirit? What does that look like? What would I actually do to walk in the Spirit? It sounds wonderful, but how do you do it? You ever, you ever thought that? I think what we have in Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 18 where it says, uh, be filled with the Spirit, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then immediately, it's a staccato of directions or instructions that spill out from that immediately. And, and they are not, what does it look like when you're filled with the Spirit, as much as it's, this is how you're filled with the Spirit. This is how you're controlled by the Spirit. This is how you live in step with the Holy Spirit. So now, with that in mind, let's take a look in our Bibles in Ephesians and chapter 5, because our text today is Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, 
and the, the text that every kid knows, am I right? Children obey your parents and the Lord. That's the text that we're going there today. And, and uh, that hope that's why we wanted you to come. Actually, you did this already, so. All right, in Ephesians chapter five, though, it says, be filled with the Spirit. And then notice it says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So if, in other words, if you were to say to me, Ken, how can I be filled with the Spirit? One of the things I would say is sing. Sing. Or, Jerry, thank you. Karen, Dave, uh, Jen, thanks for leading us. Did I leave somebody out? I probably left somebody out. Who? Oh, Ken, my goodness. Thank you for leading us in the singing. What would it be like in a Christian gathering without singing? It doesn't do our spirits good to gather and sing. Cause people sing. Well, why? That's more than what you might think. This is a means of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says it here. It says it other places. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, the second thing, how do I be filled with spirit? Singing. I would say be thankful. Give thanks. Yesterday at our men's, I'm being undisciplined in my, in my speaking here, so i got to quit these little, little um, rabbit holes. But one more. One more, may I? Yesterday we had our men's breakfast. It's, you know, an elder at each table and then a cluster of men praying. And, and we closed ours with a circle of thanksgiving. We prayed for one another, and then we said, let's just go around and say thank you. I'm telling you, it was so powerful. It's great breakfast, and then the men were thanking the Lord, and then we went home. This is the means of being filled with the Spirit. Thank God for stuff. Here it is. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how can a person be filled with the Spirit? By singing. How can a person be filled with the Spirit? By thanking God. How can a person be filled with the Spirit? By obeying one another. By having a spirit of submission. When, when, when the elders get together and they pray and they, and they deliberate and then they say, congregation, this is what we think we should do. And the congregation goes, well, okay, we'll do that. That's submitted to one another. When, when your wife says, you know, I'd really rather not do that. I'd rather do this. And you submit to that idea. That's a means of walking in the Spirit. Um. And then, there, that, and then it goes into that. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then husbands, love your wives. That was last week. And then now you get to children. And it says children, obey your parents. So again, it's talking about what does submission look like? It looks like a wife having respect for her husband. It looks like a husband laying down his life for his wife. It looks like a child showing honor and respect. And now we're at our text for today. So let's read it. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, how would we walk in the Spirit? We walk in the Spirit by singing and giving thanks and submitting to one another. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, uh, children to parents, parents to children in a sense. You see, you have the father is saying, is, he's leading, but not in a way that exasperates, so he's being tenderhearted there. And then bond servants, it's going to get really, that's ne next week we'll talk about bond servants and masters. Wow. And then finally, it's going to talk about 
spiritual resistance in chapter six, verses 10 to the end of the chapter. We'll take three or four weeks, three weeks, I think. And we'll deal with, well, how do you do spiritual warfare? How do you walk in the spirit? By doing spiritual warfare. So we have the means of walking in the spirit here. I hope you're excited about walking in the spirit. About continually hearing a voice of the Lord, reading the instructions from the Lord, obeying them in the power of the Holy Spirit, using the gift of the whole, gifts of the Holy Spirit that which you have, and having the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and, stuff and, and so forth in your life. This is what we... Now, there are power, powerful forces working against us living in submission to God. Do you feel that yourself? Do we have a little... In, all of us have a little inner rebel in us. There's corruption around us, all around us. There's pressure around us to rebel. There's the curse upon us. According to the Bible, the fallenness, this is why the scriptures say a wife's not going to want her husband leading her sometimes. And a husband's not going to want to be sacrificial in his love sometimes. This is what, has this been your experience? This is what I hear. I'm a pastor. I deal with couples. This is what I hear. That this doesn't just automatically happen. But there are these, uh, would you agree? You're just looking at me. That there are, you're afraid. You're afraid to, you know, you're afraid to like flinch right now. You don't want to get hurt later. So, but yeah, but you know, it's true. It's that there, there's something in us that wants to do this. And there's something in us that really doesn't want to do this. Okay, like welcome to the world because of the curse around us and because of the corruption around us. And then with a the child, there's childishness within us. The scriptures just talk about that. And, and some of us are like perpetual children. Like, that's kind of like me. I'm, I'm still pretty childlike. There's some people will say sometimes, you have people say, are we in the end times? Let's just vote. How many of you think we're in the end times? Raise your hand. If we're in the end times. How many of you think we're not in the end times? Raise your hand. All right. So here's the answer. We are in the end times. Guarantee it positively. No question about it. Since the ascension of Jesus, we have been in what the Bible calls the end times. That's the end times. Now, we're getting deeper into the end times than we were because time has passed. We're near the Lord's return. Here's what I think people are really meaning when they say, are, they, are we in the end times? My, my girl, this is one of her favorite subjects to talk about. And that is, is, is Jesus about to come back? Right? That's, what, that's what we're talking about. Is Jesus about to come back? And Christians that are sensitive to God as they see the world just kind of crumbling around us go, I think Jesus is about to come back. That's the way people who, you can almost tell the people who really are tenderhearted toward God, they long for his return. They like to talk and think about, and we always pray, God, Terry, wait. You know, the old fashioned term, Terry, wait until my loved ones are all in and then come back. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. Understand this, that in the last times, there will be times of difficulty. In the last days, there will be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. In 
in the last days. This is the time that we're in. We long to see Jesus. We hope he waits until all of our loved ones are in the sheepfold. But there is no doubt this is the age in which we live. What we just read describes our age. So having said all of that, we want to walk, we want to live in obedience to the Lord and submission to the Lord. We really want our kids, we don't want them to be like servile automatons. We want them to be lively and, and, and we want them to have, you know, we want them to be intelligent and we want them to have joy in their lives, but we want them to live in submission to God. And we want to live in submission and in obedience to God. We want our nation to live in obedience to God, in submission to God's law. And where does that begin? What's interesting is the Bible is so sparse and straightforward about this. The text today is just four verses, just four verses, and, and, and three of them are addressed to children, and one is addressed to fathers. Notice the three parts. So, so you have directions. Remember last week we said directions for marriage? Follow the directions. The little boy with the red Mustang, follow the directions. Today we have directions for family. Two directions, two instructions. Instructions to children, instructions to parents. This should be pretty simple. So a, a, a rare two-point message Point number one, directions to children. What are the directions to children? Obey your parents and honor them. And, and, and with an awareness of the Lord, obey your parents and honor them before the Lord with an awareness of the Lord. So no, and by the way, if you're, if you're older and your, your children are out of the home, I have a word for you a, a bit later, so stay with me. But notice the three parts of the directions to sons and daughters. Number one, you're to act in obedience to your parents. And so there's an action of obedience, but then there's the attitude of honor. The action of obedience is while you're under their authority and parents that are wise are moving you to your own authority as quickly as they can. Even when you're young, you decide, make good decisions. Don't make me tell you everything. You make good decisions and I don't have to tell you everything. That's what you're, it's kind of an incremental release. That's what you're looking for. But there are times when they're little, when you say, stop, what was a, one of our grandchildren that I was with not too long ago. I'm just, it's foggy in my mind. But, but we, we live far away from most of our grandchildren, so we don't have to be real hard on them. You know, we kind of indulge them. And, uh, and, and then that's just what we do, and you can correct me later, but we kind of indulge them because we kind of blow into town and indulge them, then we kind of blow out of town. But I was with one of them. It might have been, yeah, it was, with, it was with little Bella. Oh, my goodness, what an adorable little child. And we're in town. Now, I don't tell Bella what to do. She's cute little thing. And she, you can tell she's like all girls. She has a will of her own. And it's just adorable and, and cute, you know, and I'm just with her, you know, and, but we're in town and we're on the street. And I said, take my hand. And, you know, she's just like, like all boys and all girls, this is want to do immediately what you tell her to do because you tell it. And I go, Bella, I'm serious right now. Take my hand right now. She's like, give me her hand. Like, it was one of those rare occasions when you go, hey, sometimes you give them orders, you know, so they don't run out in traffic. But my goodness, if she's 16, I still got to hold her hand in traffic. Some, some, was, some was missing there, right? She should be pretty quickly moved to where she obeys traffic laws without having someone physically restrain her. And she will. She's a good egg. So there's this act of obedience, and there's a time of obedience to a parents under their direct authority 
But the Bible always teaches that they're always to be honored. So we, we obey our parents when they're under the direct authority. Then we establish our own household and we're not under their direct authority. Or they release us for some reason. They send us off to college or whatever. And then and, and they're in the, in the, uh, the daily obedience kind of changes from just stay out of trouble and get good grades. And we'll give you more freedom and send you money. You know, that's how that works. And then, um, and then there is the, you live on the West Coast and you still show us honor but you don't obey our directions day to day. We don't tell you, you know, what percentage mortgage that you need and that kind of thing, unless you ask. Uh, so the attitude of honor. Then, but in all of this, there is this, notice what it says, in the Lord, there's an awareness. There's an awareness of the Lord in this. So it's, it's two things it says, you notice, obey, because it's right and because you're doing this before the Lord. It's the right to do it and, and you have to be, you, you you're obeying God. And this is what we're supposed to be aware of. And this especially helps us when sometimes an evil authority does evil to us or ask us to violate God's law. Then we have to obey God rather than man. And that might even be mom and dad some days. Where you make an appeal to them, you make a creative appeal, but there may come a time with godless people that are harmful to you that you have to obey God rather than man. If the government tells us to disobey God, we have to obey God. God, and by default, we disobey the government. But that's a very serious matter. Before we do that, we make sure, are we living in obedience to God? Are we ready to suffer? Because we will probably have to suffer now. So there's a promise attached to the blessing of the Lord. This is not an absolute guarantee. This is an axiom. But this is from the Lord, so it's very serious. And the act of obedience grows out of an attitude of honor. And before I move on, let me just give you the biblical, just some biblical, let, hear the word of the Lord on this. And this is what my parents did with me when I was little. It was probably I needed this extra special. But listen to Proverbs 30 and verse 7. In other words, what I'm doing right now is I'm going to read you a bunch of Bible verses to prove to you that I'm not messing with, I'm not taking a little phrase from Ephesians 6.1 and then loading it with, with my opinions. But rather like, no, this is what the Bible teaches. Okay, so, that, so here we go. Proverbs 30, 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey his mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. There's a graphic one for you. Tell that to the kids. You know? They don't want to eat their fruit loops. <laughs> and when they're giving you the stink eye. You know, that eyeball? It's about to go right now. <laughs> it's thought. Proverbs, I shouldn't be joking about this. Proverbs 23, 22 through 25 says, listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she's old. Buy truth, don't sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Mike, can I, one more little... When I visited your mother, she didn't remember a lot of stuff toward the end. But I knew that she remembered you, and I knew she was really proud of you. So I knew that was something I could always talk about, you know. Hey, we love your son. He's one of our elders. You're proud of him, aren't you? You know, and you could just see the joy in your mom's face. And that's so true. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Raise a son who's obedient to God, who's obedient to you and shows you honor. And you will have delight in that. And you want to give your parents delight? It should be one of your goals in life to bring delight to your mom and dad by living in obedience to God. Nothing breaks the heart more than when you don't. 
And, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy. And my dad had me go to my room one day and copy this out maybe 20 times or 10 times. <laughs> this is what he had me write. Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, he had me write this out. If a man has a stubborn, rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother will take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, your son is stubborn and rebellious, and he will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard, and all the men of the city will stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge evil from your midst and all Israel shall hear and fear. We live in a time when people are apologizing for God's law everywhere. Well, the way I was raised, it was like, if you want to understand how God feels about rebellion, write this Bible verse down. I was up there doing dispensations in my brain as a kid. Does God still say, are we still, do we still, like since the cross, has this changed? Do you still stone, this like, do you still, do we still stone rebellious sons? I'm just a little nervous as I was writing this out. That's a really good thing to happen in a kid's soul. And then dad comes up and he, and he tells me about God's mercy and Christ's righteousness. But he still helps me understand this reflects the heart of God. He hates rebellion and rebellion is bad for you. You can use different parenting techniques if you want to. Ephesians 6.1, children obey your parents in the Lord. This is Right. Proverbs 20, 20, if one curses his father or mother, his lamp will be put out in other darkness. Careful how you talk to mom and dad. Proverbs 30 and verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Proverbs 30 and verse 11, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Proverbs, uh, Leviticus 19, 3, everyone who shall revere his mother and father and keep the Sabbath. And, and the scriptures say, you know, rise up before the aged. Get up on your feet, show some respect when the older people step in the room Deuteronomy 27 16 cursed is anyone who dishonors his father and mother and the people shall say amen Ezekiel 22 and verse 7 father and mother are treated with contempt by you and the sojourner suffers extortion in your midst and the fatherless and the widow are this is what God is saying through Ezekiel I'm going to pour out judgment on you because you don't honor your mom and dad anymore now let's just let's that's pretty heavy I, I know well, let's just sit, let's, if, if, if I may, reverse this positively for a minute, which I tend to like to do. And that is, would you like to have the blessing, the favor of the Lord upon your life? Would you like things to go well with you? Live long in the land, have a long life. One of the things you might do is just be, have an act, act in obedience to your mom and dad and have an attitude of honor towards your mom and dad. And I'm a personal testimony of that. I really am. My mom and dad told me to obey. They threatened me with, you know, severe warnings of if I didn't obey. They're loving, kind, godly people. And the times that I disobeyed my mom I de and my dad, I deeply regret. Those are the saddest, darkest moments of my life. But there haven't been that many of them because I did obey my mom and dad. And I try to honor my mother and my father. So to the children, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. And this is the spirit that you want to take with you through your life. To obey God. With a spirit of reverence and honor and fear of God, he's good and kind. He knows and he wants what's best for you. But he's also just and he's the judge of the universe. He's ultimately our judge and our children's judge. And they should always be aware. You know, now is, there's an attitude now where people, I think I mentioned this last week, are standing in judgment of God, church, Bible. But we're not the judge. God is the judge. Remind your children that they stand before God one day. That you stand before God, one day. 
Somebody says, well, this, that, and the other thing, and I don't think I'm going to live for the Lord because this happened to me, and I'm not going to go to church because that happened to me. I'm like, well, Jesus is coming back someday, and what are you going to tell him about that? That's what you should be thinking, and that's what we want to teach our children. And we want to teach our children that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that he's good and that he's kind. Okay, those are the directions to the children, and they are are act in obedience with an attitude of honor and do this as unto the Lord, before the Lord. Now, what are the directions to parents? Parents are to train and instruct their children. Children have to be taught honor to their parents. Um, I was with a group of college young men in a, in a spiritual experience one time, and we had a, a bunch of kayaks on a lake, and these guys were squirrely. They were like, they didn't want to sit still. So I, I did the old thing where I went out and got in a kayak, and I paddled away, and I said to them, follow me. And, you know, all day, the only instruction I gave them was follow me. And they were trying to pass me. They were wanting to know where we were going. I just kept going, well, just follow me. And it was irritating. Probably me even telling you the story is irritating you. But, but, at, but by the time we got back from those chain of lakes that we kayaked, the guys all had the idea. All I was going to do was say, follow me. And their job was to follow me. Well, you don't have to follow me. But you know what? You want to follow the Lord. You want your children to follow the Lord. You want to train your children. And you want to train. Your, you have input in your grandparents. As a grandparent, you have input. And this is toward the end of my message, I'm supposed to say this, but I want to say it right now and then I'll say it again at the end of my message so that you'll be encouraged. Grandparents can have an influence much greater than they think. You might feel right now that because you can't give specific direction to your grandchildren or great-grandchildren, congratulations, by the way, on the Vites have a new great-grandchild. You can't give specific direction like you did with your children. Nap time, go take a nap right now. Don't think you can't have a profound influence on them. Even in a short time, think about your own life and how certain things came into your life only for a short time. A few weeks bailing hay with grandpa on the farm. Changed my life. A few months at Moody Bible Institute. Changed my life. I always look back to those months at Moody Bible Institute. Oh, thank God that I got to go there then. I thank God that I got to bail hay with my grandpa. I wrote a book about it, but it was just a few weeks. And you might think, my, my grandkids, I can't, maybe your kids aren't where they ought to be. And faith is going to leap over your kids for right now and land in the heart of your grandchild. Believe God for that. Pray for that. Pray, be an example, love, never give up, don't become bitter. Don't necessarily talk all the time or always be telling them things. But anyway, but, but the, the influence, train them to obey the Lord. So here's the thing. Everything seems so confusing, so complex, so nuanced, so unsure. What do we really know after all is the, is the, is the cry of our age. It's not like people don't have strong opinions about how to run the world. Anybody with a television set and a cable subscription or YouTube can be an expert on anything these days, right? Anything that interests them from, you know, global warming to Serbo-Croatian flea breeding. You could just like be an expert at whatever you want to be an expert at. In seconds, you can find somebody that will tell you what's wrong with the world and how to fix it in a jiffy. Have you noticed that? I have gout. Can I tell you how many people have told me the final cure to gout? And it's been, and it's all different. You know, I like the one, eat more cherry pie. I'm like, let me try that one. I'm like, eat cherries. Can I have pie? No, not pie. 
you know, don't eat meat, eat meat. You, you, you know, I, I think the one, oh, well, but, but, but they're conflicting. Or, you know, if you've tried to lose weight, I know people that have tried to lose weight. You, you know, there are literally people that will say, never eat meat, never eat meat, only eat vegetables. And there are seriously people on the same YouTube thing that will say, never eat vegetables, only eat meat. Uh, you know, in the house right now, if we voted, there'd be other people like, I'm, I'm going to go eat some bacon when I go home right now, you know. And, it, and they're all like totally right. Okay, what, what, I'm making a point that's important. That is conflicting advice is everywhere you look at, everybody's so sure of themselves and the advice is so conflicting. This is why Christians, we have such a privilege to have the simple word of the living God in our laps that is sure his tr- way is truth. And what he says is, children, obey your parents, have an, an attitude of honor, understand you're going to answer to me. Parents, train your kids to do that without making them angry. How simple, how straightforward. What is it, the discipline and instruction of the Lord? It's kind of like having what the scriptures are teaching here. Fathers, don't provoke your children. It specifically addresses fathers. Don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice, in the Lord, of the Lord. Dad's parent with the Lord in mind. And what is the discipline and instruction of the Lord? It's having an adult help you decode life and the world around you with practical biblical wisdom. It's like having a life coach that's devoted to your well-being, living with you, helping you untie the knots and untangle the hose, is someone who will not be angry or impatient with you because they know you're there to learn and it's their job to teach you and train you patiently. I was reading a book one day when my kids were little and it said, all children need to learn is curiosity and a warm, responsive parent. And all children are curious but will they have a warm, responsive parent? I was laying in bed in our parsonage in Ohio, and I read that, and it's like I made a vow in my heart. I will be a warm, responsive parent. That I can do. And in a a dad, it's it's addressing dads here, it's like a player coach. You don't just stand on the sideline and yell beller at you. He runs alongside you. I trained for the crim, and my times were getting better every year. That I, this is a 10-mile race in Flint. And every year, my times were getting lower. One year, I had trained. And I had done a lot of long runs, and I was ready for a, a lower time. It was not real impressive, but it was, it was for me. And my son Daniel was maybe 14 that year. He's young and strong, and he says, maybe I'll run. He hadn't trained, but he was a kid, you know. And so he says, maybe I'll run with you. And I thought, okay. And so off we went together, and I thought, I'm going to have trouble keeping up with him. But I had trained, and he hadn't trained. And so... After the first couple of miles, he was dragging. This would not happen again. <laughs> He's a moose of a guy now, but he was kind of dragging, and I had a decision I had to make. Am I going to finish on my time that I had trained so hard for, or am I going to run with my boy? Well, you know what I did. I ran with him and coaxed him along, and we finished together. And he all the way would say, it was kind of cool too, because he would always say, whoa, dad, you could have buried me. You know what I'm saying? That was kind of a fun part. And even to this day, he'll say, remember when we ran the crim together? Dad, you're a player coach. You don't just stand on the sideline and yell at him. 
You run alongside with them. You help them. Encourage them. Sometimes you do have to correct them. Every once in a while you have to rebuke them. But mostly, you're the number one fan. There was a time I thought I wanted to excel in sports. It was very frustrating, exasperating, because I knew so little about the details of each of the sports. My dad was more interested in ministry and service and that, and not in sports, so he didn't really spend a lot of time coaching me. That's okay. When I was a boy, it seemed like the adult men that I was around spoke in a secret code that I didn't really understand. It was like I was listening to someone speak a foreign dialect. I only understood bits and pieces here and there. Mostly, I was left with a large hole of mystery about manhood in my mind. And I would lie awake in my bed at night, and I would try to imagine, what did they mean when they said that? And I wondered if I would ever understand well enough to navigate into manhood. But my father was never that way. On long rides at night, my dad would decode life for me, and he would explain humanity and manhood to me in simple, clear, lucid terms that even a confused young boy could understand. As we would ride along through the night, or when we did chores, or when we ran errands, or he got up and he threw newspapers with me every morning of the world, and he patiently answered my questions without making me feel foolish for asking. Every boy should have a man in his life like that. James, the brother of Jesus, said something like this. If you have questions about life, ask God, because he's very generous with his answers, and he won't rebuke you for asking. And that's what I think the simple instructions that we have to dads and moms are here. So the instructions are simple. Children, act in obedience to your parents. Have a lifelong attitude of honor. Parents, especially dads, train, discipline, teach, explain, coach, encourage, correct, and on occasion rebuke, but bring them up, not just to be financially responsible or socially adjusted or intellectually equipped or vocationally prepared or romantically inclined or patriotic, but spiritually vibrant. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Don't be a disengaged parent. Don't be an angry parent. Don't be an unrepentant parent. Don't be an inconsistent parent. Don't be an over-disciplining parent or a failure at incremental release or wounding the heart or an externalistic, controlling, legalistic parent. Here's the way I thought about it. This might be helpful to you. You ever have a conversation with your sons or daughters raising kids or you? I, I used to think kind of like this. These were my categories like discipleship, apprenticeship, courtship. It's kind of what I thought about it. Discipleship, apprenticeship, courtship. No, number one job is follow Jesus and help them follow Jesus. Does that sound familiar to you? Follow Jesus, show them what it looks like, help them follow Jesus. That's discipleship. Apprenticeship, teach them to work and to be responsible, to pay their bills, take out the trash. I didn't line the trash this morning. I was going to say line it, but I better leave that out today. Sorry. <laughs> Last night, I did laundry and Lois brought it up. Like her little, she's coming up the st- little narrow stairs in the dark with my laundry. That was the cutest thing, I thought. Like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm going off to camp next week. Here she comes up the stairs with the laundry. That's a hundred little things like that that we do for each other. You, you know what I'm talking about. Apprenticeship. And then courtship. You know, it's their business, but it's, you can help, right? Help them. Help them to evaluate the faith and character and virtue of those that are interested in them. Help them to live moral, morally pure lives. Help them. 
that's a job. And, and can I just say this right now? You know, you, you, some of you, most of us, like we're maybe, some of us are like empty nest, kids are out of the home. We're praying for the kids in the church. Then just remember that we want to be the example. It's more powerful than you think. Be an exa- keep being an example. Thank you for your example. Second, keep loving them. Don't get embittered when they hurt you. Just keep loving them. Be patient and love them. And find creative ways to love them. Keep loving them. Pray for them faithfully. And then only speak when you know the Spirit has given you something to say. Be very careful about what you write or say. Just make sure that the Holy Spirit is told because they already know what you believe. You told them. Now is not the time for instruction. You've done that already. Now is the time for example, love, and prayer, and asking God to do what only God can do. I have a loved one. My sister's boy. I tell you, just my sister's boy, the oldest, he, he walked away from the Lord years ago. He just walked away. And his life was hard and sad. A little over a year ago, he came back to the Lord powerfully. He is a radiant Christian guy, right? And she prayed for, prayed and prayed for years. She got up in the morning at five o'clock in the morning and walked and prayed and prayed and prayed for years. And he was so troubled. You know, he'll, he'll write me every week and say, I listen to your man podcast. And I remember this is what my parents taught me, but I, li- I appreciate you reminding me. There you have it. And it's of the Lord. You don't bring them up in your opinions or your additions to scripture or your sect, or your hunch, and you don't exasperate them, and you don't put burdens on them they can't bear, you don't expect of them what they cannot do, but you press them into the Lord, and you show them how you adore him, and how you depend on them. And remember this, you will have a profound influence on them. According to the Bible, a godly parent has an influence for a thousand generations. But you only have a short time to do it while you're alive. So remember, a long influence, a short time to do it. Years ago, my daughter Holly, our oldest daughter Holly, she was very unsure of herself. She was unsure of her appearance. She was unsure about being with boys. She was just, her complexion wasn't what she wanted to be right then. Her hair didn't do what she wanted to do right then. She was unsure of herself. And I was at my study, and a newspaper came to my study, and I was reading it, and in our little town in Fremont, it talked about the Gerber Baby Food Festival Queen, which I would normally not want to steer my daughters into being involved in because it would involve things that are not really important to me. But as I read it, I realized they were looking for a young girl to represent the Baby Food Festival. And they were just listing qualities of character and things that were kind of neat. And I, I, I felt, to, I, I went back and I told Holly, Holly, I want you to apply to, to do this. And she's, I'm not a beauty queen. I go, I want you to do this. And they're looking for qualities of character and inner beauty and, and uh, oh, dad, I couldn't do that. I, go, I want you to. And, 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 uh, and so there was a lady who was on the committee. Her name was Lorraine. And she interviewed Holly. And Holly went into that interview, and this Lorraine lady says to her, what makes you want to do this? And she says, I really don't want to do it. (laughs) And she says, then why are you here? And she says, because my dad wants me to. And she stopped and put her pen down and looked at her for a minute. 
And then a little bit later, she picked up the pen and she finished the interview. And then when she closed the interview, she said, can I ask you a personal question? And Holly said, yes. And she goes, I have a daughter I love so much and I want her to respect what I say. How does your dad get you to obey him? A few weeks, a couple weeks later, Holly had gone through that and she blossomed. God used that for her to just blossom. She's a very vibrant, pretty girl, pretty woman, mother, almost three now. She's pregnant now, little boy. She was the Gerber baby food queen and I drove the float that day. And she was driving through town, waving at people. And I, heard, I could hear them today going, Holly, hey, Holly. Oh, and Hopi was the princess. That's right. Mom was over there going, you were. And Hopi was a little baby girl. <laughs> anyway, this old home week here. I'll tell you that because I wanted to bring my girl. But, but the main thing I wanted to... I think it was so interesting that the Lord directed me to tell her to do that. And, and we had a testimony with Lorraine. There's more to that story. Somebody maybe I'll tell you. But when the day came at the end of the parade, they had me drive the truck. And I live in the moment. I don't like to think ahead sometimes and like I'm doing right now. And, um, and I was driving the parade and there was a band in front of us in the parade. So there was the band ahead of us. Then there was this, my driving this truck and the float. And then Holly and her court were on the float. And I was looking in the rearview mirror and she was waving and it was a super happy time. And when we got to the end of the parade route, the band just went dissipated, you know, all to their places. And suddenly I was at the end of the parade route and I didn't remember any directions about what I was supposed to do at the end of the parade route. I'm just sitting there with a truck and there's a highway and I got girls in evening gowns, you know, on this thing with, on plastic chairs. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And so I knew I, I, you know, I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. So I knew I, I shouldn't drive out onto the highway with the girls on the wet hay wagon. So I said to the girls, would you guys want to get off the wagon? Because I'm, I got to put this away somewhere. And I remember helping these girls down off of this hay wagon in their dresses and leaving them by the side of the road and pulling out. I didn't know what to do at the end of the parade. Someday the parade's going to end, and our kids are going to need to know what then. And you need to know what then. And that's why all that we do, we do before the Lord.